Welcome to the Coffee with Kojo podcast, produced by the School of Communication and Journalism at South Dakota State University. My name is Dr. Rocky Daly, and I'm an associate professor in the school. This week, our student host Sam Shower talks with Ginger Thompson, a Kojo instructor who has had a fascinating career in broadcasting. I am from Sioux Falls. Born and raised in Sioux Falls, and so I uh, went to college at USD in Vermilion, and I don't say that very loudly. However, I redeemed myself when I came to South Dakota State to get my master's degree in journalism. Yeah, so I also hear you have a uh, pretty, I don't I want to say like, uh, famous family, but like you, you're a pretty good uh, family in Sioux Falls. Yes, I, I grew up in a pretty prominent family. Yes, yeah, <laughs> I sure did, and that was great. It was, it, I, I think what was unique about it is that my, so my dad had a long and illustrious radio career, and, uh, and we can go into more detail about that later if you'd like, but uh, he started a radio station, KISD, and eventually moved it to the basement of our home. Now, the, the, our home uh, actually was, from what I understand, an old, uh, Sioux Falls used to be the divorce capital of the world, by the way. <laughs> it's like what Las Vegas is to marriage, Sioux Falls was to divorce. And so this was a, a large, home with lots of rooms and it was like a boarding house for quick divorces uh, for women to come and get quick divorces from their husbands so uh, that was for sale and my dad bought it and had it uh, moved out to West 12th Street and and it was the intent was so the transmitter operators could you know have a place to to be and that kind of stuff so um, so we you know, put a basement underneath and uh, and it was large and so he just built the radio station right there in the basement of the house well then there was also a little cottage near the house where it turns out if uh, he needed transmitter operators or whatever to stay somewhere they could stay in the cottage and eventually his family lived in the house and I grew up there so I didn't really know that everybody didn't have a radio station in their basement (laughs) it was really fun and radio was was piped into our house. My dad was was a real wizard when it came to hooking anything up that he needed to hook up to get it to work. And so in every room of our house, there was a speaker that fed KISD radio into it, including the bathrooms. Oh. Yes, so you couldn't, you know, and he wanted to monitor it to make sure that it was on the air, that the you know, DJs were saying what they were supposed to or playing the music or the news was on and that kind of thing. So uh, I was, music and talk was all around me and my sisters. I have two sisters as we grew up in Sioux Falls. I just want to uh, I just want to ask, were you ever uh, like sick and tired of hearing your dad's voice sometimes on the radio or? No, never, <laughs> never. I actually cut my first voiceover at the age of three. And uh, not knowing, of course, that later on I would go into the radio business, but and it wasn't necessarily because I had a stellar voice at the age of three, but it was because he had a client at that time. It was a packing plant called Greenlee's Packing Plant, and that was is like Morell's, and that was located in Sioux Falls. And so he was was producing a radio ad for them, and he wanted a child to say at the for the tagline my mommy says greenly meats are the best and so i just happened to be that three-year-old that was around that he 
plucked to come down to the basement and record that voiceover, and the rest is history. <laughs> Did you get a candy bar at least for it? Did you actually get paid for that, or was it just a little free labor? It was free labor. <laughs> <laughs> However, we also owned a campground that was... Um, on the same grounds as our home. So our, there's our home with a radio station in the basement and a campground on the acreage all around us. And so we would always get free pop because we had a pop machine and had access to the key. And so whenever we wanted free pop, we would just go get the key and get some pop. Sounds like a great childhood. <laughs> it was a great childhood, it really was. So then, uh, so then you went to USD, obviously. Um, why did you, so were you in journalism also at USD, or? I was, I, I was. I have a degree in, in mass communication from USD. And at that time, USD was considered the broadcast journalism school, and SDSU was considered the print journalism school. And so since I wanted to go into broadcast, I just it didn't really think about not going there. And so... Uh, so I did, and I think I got a decent education, but a few years after moving back to Sioux Falls and working in the market, then I moved to Brookings to get my master's degree and uh, um, really found this program to be great. So I think I certainly could have started here, and that would have been fine, too, but it was a nice change of pace. It was okay. So then why did you get into journalism? Was it just because, like, you were young as a kid? or It was... Obviously, I was influenced by my surroundings because I, I literally grew up around journalism and broadcasting. My dad was, you know, wrote a lot of uh, what he started, um, probably he, what he thinks might be the first ever in the business, started radiotorials, which is an editorial on the radio. So if there was something that he thought was unjust or something that he had an opinion about, he would write a, a radiotorial and announce that on the air. And so I, I, you know, saw him writing. I heard him announcing. Uh, you know, was was all around journalism. And so when I was in high school and I was starting to think about what path I wanted to take. Now, mind you, I'm. I hate to say that I'm this old, but at that time, a lot of women were being pushed into being teachers, nurses, or secretaries. Mm -hmm. And so. Uh, so, you know, you start thinking about those options, and, and uh, one day, I guess, I was talking with my dad, and, and I said, well, what about, what about going into broadcasting? And, he, and he, of course, he thought it was a great idea, because I would be following his footsteps, but he also said that at that time, the FCC was starting to crack down on radio and television stations because they didn't hire enough women. And so um, it was really kind of a, a perfect timing for me to go into broadcasting uh, it, because it was easier. I hate to say, you know, and again, today that wouldn't, you know, sounds also <laughs> I know, archaic kind of, but, um, but I thought it might be easier to, to get a job in broadcasting. I really liked Barbara Walters. And so, you know, I said to my dad, well, I, geez, I, I, you know, I'd love to be, and I got into beauty pageants too. So you had, so I I wanted to, so I went from wanting to be in radio broadcasting to television broadcasting because, you know, maybe I had the appearance for that or that's what some people would say, and so um, so I thought well I could I could be a national news anchor why not, but 
my, I remember my dad always saying, and again, all these quotes were, were things that you heard first when you were young, and I heard first from my dad, well, do you really want to be a little fish in a big pond like you would be if you were out, you know, trying to make it in the New York City market? Or, you know, or do you want to be a, a big fish in a little pond here in a market like Sioux Falls? And I thought being a big fish in a little pond sounded pretty good. That does sound good. That's, <laughs> a, that's actually my, that's a great segue to my next question. So then you worked with Kello, if I remember exactly right. I did. I I did work with Kello. That's very astute of you. <laughs> I, I was. I you tripped me up for just a moment because I interned at KSFY in my uh, during one summer uh, in my college years. But then when I was out of college, I did get a job with Kello as a morning news anchor and a well. Today, I think I'd be called a meteorologist, but I was uh, a, a, you know weather. I'll say weather caster, I'm not going to say weather girl. And although back then that's what it was called too. And um, I did, knowing that that's often where they cast women in the business, I decided to, to minor in earth science. So I would know something about it and they couldn't call me the dumb blonde weather girl. <laughs> just being truthful. <laughs> we, like, we like to hear that, you know, just truthful on the air. <laughs> so then... So you also had stories. How long were you at Kello exactly? I was at Kello for six years, but there was some overlap between when I moved back to Brookings and started getting my master's. So I was a stringer for Kello uh, in in Brookings and would produce news packages. And it's so funny now when I when I look at the technology we have and how easy it is for for young people who are reporters to go get to their computer to write the story, edit the story, send it down to Sioux Falls, if you will, if that, if that, if, you know, that had been the case that many years ago. But instead, you know, we had, uh, you know, big, we, had, we were shooting on videotape. I started out when we were shooting on film, actually, in 1976 at KSFY. So that was interesting to have that experience because we'd have to race, run it to Harold's photo finishing to get the film developed before and get it back and edit it before the news. So, <laughs> so anyway, so videotape was the, like the coolest thing. So we would get our, our um, we would you know, shoot, shoot the interviews. Uh, we, you know, get them edited as quickly as possible. I worked a lot, we worked a lot with ag communications here on campus. And then I would get the, the, finished piece and get it out to the airport because there was a flight that went down to Sioux Falls on a, um, can't remember if it was a daily basis or not, and so we would fly the, the story down to Sioux Falls and they would run to the airport and pick it up on a big three-quarter inch tape. I couldn't <laughs> imagine working in the news and like whenever you were working there. You know? <laughs> it was many years ago. 2000s, of course. Am I right? Yes, of course, of course. Thank you. <laughs> So, so then also I hear you uh, worked for South Dakota Public Broadcasting? I did. I did. I remember when I was at Kello, uh, we, you know, you think that, and it is a big deal to be on Kello. You know, that's, that's kind of, if you're in this market, that's, you know, kind of your dream job. And, but I remember one of, one of the reporters left Kello to go work for public broadcasting. And we were all like, what in the world is that person doing? I mean, you know, who watches public broadcasting and all this kind of stuff? And, and um, well, later on, when I came up here to get my master's degree, I uh, 
was asked to be a grad assistant at South Dakota Public Television. And so I, I uh, started working there and realized, wait a second, this is... <laughs> It pays better than commercial television, and it and the flexibility. You know, it was it was fun for a while producing minute and a half news packages, but at public broadcasting, I was producing documentaries and I was producing weekly programs with long roll-in segments, and so it it was more freedom. I was it's still very interesting. You still learned a lot, and um, ultimately, then after I. Um, was a grad assistant there, a position opened up as the ag and economics producer, and I was, and I got that position and worked there then for another six years. Okay, and then, so then I also, uh, re also read a little bit, so you were also a producer along with a reporter? Yes. And, uh, which one did you find uh, more fun, I guess, being in front of the camera or behind the camera? In front of the camera. <laughs> Maybe that's no surprise, but I am pretty comfortable in front of the camera. I, I, I like to, um, I like to write. I like to tell stories, and as a producer, it you know that's a it's a whole different role. I mean, you might be lining up a lot of the stories and uh, and then. Um, you know, making sure that, you know, you, you work with, you know, various people to get the air date and to get the, um, you know, get the rundown figured out and all this kind of stuff and the timing issues and everything like that. Whereas in, in front of the camera, you, you, you know, I, maybe it's not a good comparison because both are really great, but I really do like being in front of the camera. And I don't do that much of that anymore. I hear, I hear. Yeah. So yeah. I also, uh, I was also just told recently that you, uh, were you in a movie or did you help produce a movie? Or? <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, mm -hmm. <laughs> as a matter of fact. Might you be talking about the Williams and Ree movie? <laughs> I, anonymous source told me yes. So. <laughs> I did. I, I was featured in a movie. So my husband was uh, the director of most of the Williams and Ree movies. And so, and this one, the one you're speaking about is... Um, Oh gosh, what was, I can't even remember the name of it. But anyway, I was, one of their famous songs is Little White Bear, and um, I'm sorry, Little White Dove. And so I was Little White Dove in, in that movie. And, and public TV, we produced it, public TV ran it during fundraising a lot, and a lot, and for years. And that's how, you know, people still remember that I was Little White Dove in that movie, even though it really wasn't that big of a role. Later on, my husband produced a movie with Williamson Reed called uh, Totem Recall, and and I was uh, I had a bit part along with uh, Dave Dedrick in that movie. Okay. So it's good to you know it helps to know someone. Oh, so, <laughs> no, speaking, how did you meet your husband? Speaking of which, since you're bringing him up at South Dakota Public Broadcasting. In fact, uh, he is originally from Wisconsin. He was working at Wisconsin Public Broadcasting in Madison, and and a director position opened up here in Brookings, and so he got the job and moved out here, and it was just about the time that uh, I was finishing grad school, and I was, uh, you know, looking to get hired on a full-time basis at public broadcasting, and it was, it was fun to have something that was, um, that we had so much in, you know, we had so much in common, and we could, you know, unfortunately, you talk shop a, a lot, but that's fine because it's it's a fun business. It certainly can be stressful. Um, I don't want to, you know, lead anybody astray. It's you know, it's a lot of work, but we really enjoyed, and we've worked together 
ever since, and we've been married over 30 years. And so it's, yeah, it, it's been a lot of fun. That's, that's exciting. Um, I also hear that you also created your own uh, your own company, TV Productions. TV Productions. You know what TV stands for? I figured it was... Uh, I think someone told me uh, it was his Thompson last. Yeah, Thompson and Van Duke. Van Duke. So TV. It's a good thing we were in television because yeah. it wouldn't have made a lot of sense if we weren't. Uh, but of course, my last name. I, I didn't. You know, I'm one. Uh, I, I didn't take his last name. Uh, his last name is Van Duke, and so it just worked out that it was TV Productions, and we produced for television. Uh, originally, uh, we got into the business to produce cable uh, ads for local ad insertion. And then we uh, morphed into doing uh, a lot of videos for nonprofits and for uh, training purposes for business and industry. So that was a lot of fun. So we've had, and we still, we sold most of the company, but we have uh, a little, a bit part of it, which is the, the part of us that produces uh, On Call with the Prairie Doc and, um, you know, and works for the Healing Words Foundation. Okay. And how long have you worked for uh, On Call with the Prairie Doc? Well, I was part of the, you probably know this too, you know, you know more about me than I do, I think. <laughs> I was a part of the pilot series of On Call with the Prairie Doc. And that was, um, I think it was about 27 years ago that we produced the, the first four pilot series. And um, it was called, actually at that time, it was called House Calls. And it aired on public broadcasting. And, but it, and it was Rick's vision to be able to create a television show that would provide um, honest, science-based medical information to the, to the public. And so it was, it was a success, but it was difficult to find funding for it. And so he just kept working at it, working at it, and finally getting enough sponsors where we could produce a TV show that could air on public broadcasting and now live on Facebook um, on a regular basis. Yeah, so I also um, I also wanted to ask. So, are you are you also a teacher at SDSU? Well, I am a teacher at SDSU. As a matter of fact, I am the instructor for MCOM 151, which is uh, Mass Communications uh, Intro to Mass Communications, I should say, and and it's great. It is just great. It's a general education course, so I have students from every major possible and uh, a lot of freshmen, some sophomores, juniors, seniors, even some grad students sometimes. And we, um, it's great, we, we, uh, we talk about the history, we, uh, we study a different medium every week. So one week it'll be books, then newspapers, then magazines, then television, then radio, public relations, freedom of expression. Uh, so there's some, you know, every week we, we just take one of those and study the history of it and how it got to where it is today. And I try to bring in a guest speaker also who is in the business to talk about um, their experiences. For example, this, this coming uh, week, I have, we're studying film. And I often have Frank Robertson from this department come in and talk about film and what to, how to be a good film critic. And he's wonderful. He wasn't available. So I got Andrew Keitlinger who is from South Dakota, but now he's making it big as a director in Los Angeles. And he is actually was just, just contracted to direct a movie for Sylvester Stallone. And so um, so he's speaking to the class via Zoom on, on Tuesday. So I'm pretty excited about that. That is very exciting. Yeah, yes. So, so yes, I do also teach here. I, I know there's, there's still something coming up that you know about me. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> 
I'm just, there's quite, there's an interesting thing. I'm gonna, I'm gonna save it to the end because I want to hear, okay. hear your okay. reaction. But, okay. So then, do the kids? Uh, no, I shouldn't say kids. They're my, they're my age. Do the <laughs> students? I guess, uh, I guess treat. Did they treat you really well? Because like, I don't know. Maybe some of them realize that like, oh my God, that's Ginger Thompson. You know, that's, she's from Telo or something. You know. <laughs> Well, it used to be kind of funny because years ago I, I would have students say, uh, and this was before I even started teaching, but um, they would hear my name and they'd say, um, oh, my parents used to watch you on television all the time. Well, now it's my grandparents used to watch you on television all the time. And so I'm kind of, you know, uh, known in that sense uh, to some other families, so they are somewhat familiar with me. Uh, that way, and then I then it's just kind of word gets around. If there's a class that students enjoy, they'll tell others to to take the class. And I've been fortunate; it's, it's a large class of oh between 150 to 200 students every semester, and uh, and they all seem to really enjoy it. And so it's I I try to make it fun. You know, it's not it's not neuroscience. It, yeah. it, it is intro to mass comm. So we have a good time and we learn. Um, and and I hope that they find it, uh, you know, find my background and, and my presentations interesting. You definitely are an interesting person, just because, just from reading the bio. So. Well, thank you. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you uh, one of my final questions, and I just, I had to save it for the end, because I just, I love it so much. So I, I read, you are the inventor of the door hickey. Yes, you, that's what I was hoping you were going for. Can yes. You, can you tell me about that? Yes, I am the inventor of the door hickey. Well, coming from an innovative family, it turns out my grandfather actually had had 11 patents, and my dad uh, invented a lot of um, programs and a lot of things. And so I always maybe had a little bit of that entrepreneurial spirit. And so one, one day, many, many years ago, uh, I used to entertain quite a bit. And I had a sliding glass door, and my hands were full because I had, I had drinks and steaks and a tray and everything. And I was fumbling to try to open the sliding glass door and not drop my food or have to set it down and use my hands. And so I thought, there must be a better way. But I couldn't really think of what that would be because this was, when I first thought of it, was so many years ago. Honestly, it was like now 40 years ago, maybe. There was no internet. And so I couldn't just Google, you know, sliding glass door apparatus. So I just filed the idea in the back of my head years and years later when my husband and I met. Um, a few years after we got married, we had our, our first child. And... Um, and he knew my idea. He, you know, we didn't really think about a great way that we could f do something simple that wasn't automated on a on a sliding door. And so we were giving our son a bath one night, and the, he had this Bert and Ernie bath toy that had uh, this really big suction cup on it. And and we looked at it, and I said, "What if? What if?" And so of course we stole his bathtub toy, took it down to the sliding glass door, disassembled part of it. And said, "What if we had something that had that suctioned onto a gliding a sliding glass door, that had a some kind of a handle or some kind of a protrusion from it that where you could use your elbow to open and close the glass door or your hip or you know whatever you wanted to?" And so we started working on it. And it, it, it you know, slowly because we both we were new parents, we both worked, you know, and so it uh, it took a while to develop, but eventually we we invented a process where it's on kind of like um, like what they use, what window uh, and mirror handlers use to put on the windows to uh, 
you know, suction them so they can take them and put them up on a, on a wall or inside a window frame. Um, based on that technology, uh, where it's not a suction cup, but it's a, uh, it creates, it is a suction cup, but it creates a vacuum suction. And so it doesn't just pop off with the you know, change in barometric pressure or something. And so uh, the way this works is that with the handle that comes out uh, from the suction cup, as you twist the handle, the vacuum suction becomes very strong, very strong. And, uh, and, it will st and then you can use that, you know, one for the inside, one for the outside, uh, to open and close your sliding door when your hands are full. So if you want to learn more about it, you can go to doorhickey.com. It's like doohickey with an R, doorhickey, because it it's, works on doors and it suctions, therefore doorhickey. Oh, yeah. That's, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's where I was thinking. <laughs> well, Ginger, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. Is there anything else you'd like to say at all? It's been a pleasure. Thank you. You've done a great job interviewing. It's very fun and relaxed, and I appreciate it very much. Our next episode will be available on March 25th. This podcast is the property of the School of Communication and Journalism at South Dakota State University, which reserves all rights to its use. Music by Cody M. Johnson and Tyler Addison James is licensed through AMP Music.